Welcome to Casting Nets Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Pastor Will Harley. I'm here with Pastor Don Winsberger, uh, who is connected through the airwaves and live on the internet. We pick up our study with Philippians. Uh, We know that we've been trying to bite off a lot here on our podcast show, and uh, it has come to our attention that uh, sometimes our eyes are bigger than our abilities on what we are able to do. And so what we're probably going to be doing here as we come to a close with Philippians in the next couple of weeks is uh, we are going to maybe do some pre-recorded shows uh, as well as sort of taper off here for the the summer months so that we have an opportunity to catch our breath and uh, bring you good quality stuff as we we head into the the fall semester uh, later on. So if you don't hear from us or have all the shows every single week that you were expecting, uh, do realize it's not because we have left you, but it's because uh, if we don't have an opportunity to catch our breath, um, you'll just hear a bunch of rambling and dead silence. And I don't think that would be a, a wonderful thing either. So without further ado, remember this is a a podcast about two pastors just sharing our thoughts. Uh, Hopefully here you will find Christ as he presents himself to you as he has promised through his word. And uh, as we have these conversations, we may or may not say things that may offend you. And if they do, we apologize. Um, But please contact us and we'll be more than happy to discuss these with you. Uh, They do not always reflect the views and opinions of our called church bodies as well as the, the synod in which we are a part. And I think I hit all the, the major points, did I not? Except for the point that rest assured we're going to do our very best to try to rile you up. There you go. So if we do offend you, we have done our job, uh, but we still would like to have those conversations with you. So without further ado, let us uh, prepare to jump on into Philippians uh, chapter, end of chapter 2 and chapter 3. All right. Well, last week we were cut off a little bit because of the internet, and sometimes you have internet trouble. And so we did not get a chance to finish the last uh, verses of chapter two. And in the EHV entitles the last two or the last verses of chapter two as two faithful workers," where where Paul kind of introduces um, fellow ministers of the gospel that that have been working with him. And one of them we know, um, Timothy is introduced, and the other is Epaphroditus, uh, who is a brother and co-worker, and I, I notice he names him a fellow soldier in, in this in this battle uh, for presenting the gospel. Uh, so as we, we kind of wrap up where our conversation was in chapter 2, what do we know about these, these individuals, and, and what can we say about them? Well, I was good, you know, if I remember correctly, when the power in your office went... Uh, um, went off the grid last week. We had spent some time talking about Timothy um, a little bit, uh, having having had written two, uh, Paul had written two letters to him, uh, a student pastor under his uh, uh, under his auspices, also having had the opportunity to uh, be with Paul and any emotional and spiritual support. Uh, um, during his imprisonment and during much of, of Paul's ministry. Epaphroditus, on the other hand, um, um, really uh, is, is how, maybe how we, if we just want to go there, um, is uh, there's, not, there's not as much known about him as I'm just looking at some information that I have in front of here. You've already told much, um, much about uh, uh, what we have here. 
uh, Epaphroditus, uh, messenger of the Church of Philippi to the Apostle Paul during his imprisonment in Rome, entrusted with their contributions for his support. We read about that in chapter 2 and chapter 4. Paul seems to have held him in high appreciation, calling him his brother, companion in labor, fellow soldier. While in Rome, he contracted a dangerous illness brought on by his ministering to the apostle. Verse 30, here in chapter 2, refers to that. On his return to Philippi, he was the bearer of the epistle to the church there. Um, Grotius and some other critics conjecture that Epaphroditus was the same as Epaphras mentioned in the epistle to the Colossians. But though that name Epaphras may be a contraction of the former, the fact that Epaphras was most probably in prison at that time sufficiently marks the distinguishment in per, the distinction in persons. So really, we don't know much about Epaphroditus except what Paul says him about here says about him here. I like that term that he uses, fellow soldier. Um, I was glad that that you brought that up because it's, you know, it's a mouthful, and I want to be careful, careful about conjecture. But in my in my experience or in recollection with Paul's epistles, and as he mentions people, he doesn't use that term with anybody else. No, he he really doesn't, and and. And he doesn't even use that with uh, with Timothy. He has with Timothy. He does um, have other terms of endearment. Um, you know, he calls himself a spiritual father, or or um, uh, in that way, and helping lead and and guide Timothy in his growth as a pastor. Um, but here we have, and he has a buildup of terms. Really, when he's he's talking about uh, Epaphroditus, he's saying, you know, my brother, my coworker. And a fellow soldier, um, so I mean, he you get these building up of terms of of not only is he is a brother in faith, not only is he a co-worker in ministry, right? Um, but he he is he is Paul is almost saying I am I am more than willing, in fact, not just willing, but but pleased to stand shoulder to shoulder in this battle with him. Um, and and I think we would say that even in our own ministries, right? There are. There are brothers in the ministry where we would say they're my brother, they're in faith. I have no problem with that. Um, they're co-workers, they're doing ministry. But you and I both know that there are some pastors that we cannot work with, that we cannot stand shoulder to shoulder with and say, you know, we are fellow soldiers on the front lines doing this particular battle. Um, and it seems as if Paul is making that, at least to me, it seems as if Paul is making that statement of, of I am I am more than willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with him um, in 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 this fight of sharing the gospel with you uh, to the Philippians, and, and that's a that's a really neat thing to be able to say. This is a strong. There's a strong possibility here too that this is something that's definitely the thought of the author of the hymn of onward of the hymn onward Christian soldiers as well too. It could be. Um, um, well, there are many other passages in scriptures, this is something that would definitely fit in. I would have to look a little bit more deeply into the history behind that beloved Christian hymn. Um, but it's definitely, it's, it, it, it's definitely imagery that Paul uses here. Right, right. Well, and the and I mean, think of the battles, and and I guess when I would think of it, you know, look at the battles that he went through. I mean, just like Paul, um, who had gone through beatings and um, had gone through times where where he himself may have been sick or struggled for his life. Um, you have Epaphroditus who does the same, and and so there's a bond there uh, that he got sick because he ran himself. Um, almost ragged in the in the goal to to come to Paul's aid and and to to be there as a part of uh, bolstering Paul up um, and so now there's they, they there's that camaraderie that comes in in really doing the gospel's work with within our people and I would say that happens within the church too that that there's a closeness among people who join together right 
uh, a closeness among people who join together in doing the work of the church. Um, and not saying that the other people who come to church on a Sunday, sit in the pew, listen to God's word, participate in the service, then get up and leave, aren't followers of Christ, aren't believers. Um, maybe they are co-workers as they share Jesus in a different field, in a different area, but it's different than the ones who are there, you know, in the morning helping setting church up or the ones that are staying after in Bible study and, and, and joining in choir or whatever the case may be. There's, there's a difference in that idea of, of joining in that, that way and, and being a soldier in those front lines, uh, preparing to do those things. Even the ones that would go out and, and join you on your mission trips or um, sharing in cities or knocking door to door or whatever you would do. When Paul and Silas were in Philippi, um, that was also when Paul and Silas were beaten, thrown into prison, and then you had uh, the jailer there, that wonderful story with the jailer and his whole household. But that when you mentioned that, that, that in fact, that beating with, you know, that beating with rods and so forth and stuff, it doesn't seem to, it, it, you know, uh, it doesn't seem to be that Philippi, how do you say it, was necessarily a, I want to say probably a, 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 a city of solace for, um, for, for the church. Um, it, uh, I don't want to, again, I don't want to conjecture too much, but when you look at the crud that um, that Paul and Silas went through while they were there, uh, I would find it hard to believe that when Paul and Silas left, that that hostility towards the gospel and the workers um, would be any different. Right. Um, well, and I think uh, he picks up on that in three. I, I think in, 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 in chapter three, he kind of picks up on it that that hostility is still there. Um, and that there's going to be trouble, and then he Paul warns about it, right? Um, and, and as he leads into chapter three, he says, "Get you know, there are going to be people standing against you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evildoers." And again, yeah, he's going into, uh, he, he, I, but I think he uses that. He, he, he he's he's using that as a transition when he, when he uses that as a transition. There, who were the? Who are the enemies of the church of you know of the church of of Jesus at that time? And again, they were. You had you had. The, these are not anti-Semitic remarks, okay? Uh, to, to to our listeners casually tuning in or whatever. You had the you had the the unbelieving Jewish leaders at that time that were actively following Paul and Silas around to undermine the spread of the gospel and try to exterminate it. Then you had the you had a Jewish influence even coming into the church with the believers, which we're going to transition into chapter, which is really kind of a transition into chapter three as well with the circumcision group trying to make Old Testament ceremonial law a requirement, the observation of it, a requirement for salvation. Um, and again, this is what Paul, you know, Paul's talking about enemies, evildoers, and so forth, because anything that attacks at, anything that attacks at the heart and the soul and the, and the center of Christ and the gospel is evil and an enemy. And, and an interesting how he frames, he, he really approaches the framing of all of this with the idea of a fellow soldier, right? Um, yes. We are, we are going to be attacked. Here are the things that, and later he's going to say, here are the things that are attacking us, but I'm sending Ephroditus or Epaphroditus, who is a, a fellow soldier. He's going to help you prepare, right? He's going to help you stand against these things. Um, Timothy also could do that. Um, uh, wonderful, wonderful. We have these, these being prepared for battle, um, for the things to come and, and being able to, to stand up against them. Maybe we should talk a little bit about three. 
Well, you know, it just just be just before we move on, one more thing with that too, and I don't want I don't want to drag us, and we do need to move on. You know, when you when we read through Acts and we look at at all of the co-workers that Paul had, um, and there are ones that you know in Paul's letter, in Paul's epistles in the New Testament. Not all of them are named, and even if I remember correctly, in which one of the epistles, Paul 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 makes mention of. The, there are there are too many there are too many to make mention of. Um, the, the the experience of this the experience this this man had in the ministry and just with all of the people he had an opportunity to work at I think that's what work with that's what makes this even more profound that when you get a term it's striking because when you get a term like that um, it, it it it's it's unique and so it's going to it, it's going to bring about the the, the bible re, the it's going to raise the eyebrows the ears and get the attention of the bible reader sure because especially if you if you ever sit and and going through the epistles isn't going to take you that long really romans might slow you down a little bit um but but going through the epistles really wouldn't take you very long to read and if you would just page your way through the the epistles of Paul, you would find out, like you said, he doesn't he doesn't really refer to anybody else in this this idea of fellow soldiers, um, not in this way at least, um, where 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 he really highlights the quality of of standing shoulder to shoulder in this in this sense of trouble, uh, and through troubles, you know, with with ourselves. Uh... You would give different descriptions, like you said, to brothers in the ministry. When I think of, you know, I, I don't, I don't even think I would give this description to myself. Um, however, I would think a couple of times to where maybe if I was going to call somebody a fellow soldier, I would think to, um, oppor- I would think to opportunities actually looking at helping out other congregations. I mean. Uh, I, I think of a couple of guys that I would call that in my ministry fellow, fellow soldiers when we were involved in, in areas that were actually when we were dealing with false doctrine in the public ministry. Right. People who uh, stood up for something. You know, and then actually working with brothers that were actually willing to step up about and about that, be vocal about it. Um. And, and so forth. I can remember entering early on into the ministry, wet behind the ears and not really knowing squat, sitting in on a pastor's conference and hearing a paper that was given that had so much false doctrine in it um, that it was that it was nauseating. And after the paper was given, there was a sub that was concluded. Uh, there was an opportunity given for discussion. I'm in year number two of my ministry and I'm looking around and I'm waiting for for pastors, this is and this was a circuit. This was a district-wide pastors conference. I'm looking around, uh, uh, and and I'm waiting, waiting to, to, for discussion. No discussion, and then the chairman says it moves for, for, uh, uh, for acceptance of the paper, and uh, and then I hear uh, uh, so moved and support and. Then he goes once again discussion, and finally I raised my hand and I said, "Really, am I going to be the only one to call out this thing as a piece of garbage?" Right. And then finally, I had a couple other guys that were in my class stand up and say, uh, "I, we can't accept this paper." Um, and we ended up taking some crud from some older guys in the ministry for kind of rocking the boat. And it was like, but I mean, this was something, it, it was a paper where it, it long, it, I mean, to, 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 to summarize the story, where it was actually questioning the authority of Scripture. Right, and so you would you would name those people who stood up with you as fellow soldiers. Yes, and, I, and, right. and again, I, the, the, the brothers, my, my, my classmates who stood up with me, I would call them fellow soldiers because let me tell you, we took a bit of guff we shouldn't have taken from faithful men. Well, and I just as as you were talking here, I just did a quick page through um, to the ends of all the epistles. You know where he where Paul typically gives some you know regard, greet others, or I'm writing this with so and so, and and just a cursory glance. Yeah, this is the only time he refers to any other person as a fellow soldier. Um, yeah. 
Co-worker, minister, yep, yep, all of those. But but a fellow soldier, this is unique to to Epaphroditus. And, and I think it's because, you know, the the Philippians, they are a wonderful, wonderful group of, of believers, um, very, very faithful believers, but they're going to be hit pretty hard. And, and I think you you have the sense that, that Paul has in his mind um, that not only is he writing this just to share joy and the joy he has um, in the Lord because of them, and everything that they've done to help support uh, his ministry, but also to help encourage them in the battles that are going to be coming. And and there are some battles that are going to be coming. Yes. Um, and and so you needed That's to have some chapter three, right? Exactly. Which is actually, it's a battle that not only the Philippians encountered, but the worldwide church at that time. I mean, talk it was uh, a very um, corrosive false doctrine. Well, and it, and it's I would have to say that the false doctrine itself would lead, and and I, I okay backtracking here a little bit. What we're talking about in the false doctrine is the idea of of the circumcision group, the idea of of bringing back a, a righteousness that is based not in Christ but in 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 the law, in what you have to do and what you should be doing, um, and that's really what the corrosive nature is. That's going to that's a attacking the Philippian church and really attacks all churches. We have it today in our own society, in our own congregations. We we call it something different. I mean, you can call it, you know, law righteousness or or self-righteousness, but but really it maybe today a good word for it would be almost pietism. I, I think in, in in some regards you could call it that. That it, this idea of how do you live your life and what you have to do and how good or bad you are, um, and that almost internal pietism is is really what is being combated here, and and something that is very insidious in the nature of the church. Deeds, not creeds. Well, that's the slogan, right, of many, yep. many, many denominations out there. Um, you know, uh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Uh, I remember just being in, in winter, um, and one of the members, um, wonderful, wonderful older lady. Um, I didn't expect it from her generation, but I remember her, her coming up and telling me, um, one Sunday afternoon, cause I saw her out at the store and she hadn't been in church for a while. And I had stopped and, and talked with her and she said, Oh, pastor, I should have told you, but I'm not going to be in church on Sundays for, for, for quite a while anymore. And I said, well, why is that? And she said, well, um, they needed help at one of the local nursing homes, uh, serving coffee to the, to the residents on Sunday mornings. And she felt that it was her calling to to serve the residents in that way than be in church on Sunday, um, that it was more important to serve. And it's one of those ideas, deeds, not creeds, right? Um, I, I'm going to go and do, and that makes me better because I'm, I'm going to do this and see I'm, I'm good. There is, a, there is a tendency among our the non-Lutheran Protestant Christian groups in our in our in our in our country and world today to uh, have this tendency of of this same false doctrine of it's not only it's not only faith in Jesus but you are going to show your faith in him and your love and your allegiance to him by how many of these old testament ceremonial laws you can keep and and the danger in this is that people uh, a lot of many too many Christians look at, at at Old Testament law and cannot make a differentiation between moral law, which applies to everyone, to civil law, which only applied to the Jew the citizens of Israel, and to, to ceremonial law, which governed the worship life of those Old Testament Christians. It served a purpose to point them to Christ, who was to come. And when Christ came, those laws were, those laws were fulfilled and no longer necessary. Um, and there's such a tendency. Uh, in fact, that a young man here in, in Cologne a few years ago that moved back into the area, um, brought brought he and his, his new family, uh, join uh, rejoined the church. Um, and he got caught up with a group again that, okay, the Old Testament dietary laws, um, refraining from pork, um, again, uh, 
uh, not only that, but worshiping on Saturday night or worshiping on Saturday uh, and so forth. I got so caught up in that. And he's, as he's talking with me about this, he says, but pastor, if you really love Jesus, you want to do everything that he to t tells you. And I said, uh, yeah. And I said, uh, and he goes, so we got to have church on Saturday nights. And I'm going, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, I said, and you do know the connection, the 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 the, the connection in what what in 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 what he in how he said that. And he goes, but pastor, he goes, he goes, but he says, and then he's going, God's word, none of it passes away. He means everything he said. And I said, yes, he did. And I said, but you don't understand. You, I said, you didn't learn in confirmation class the difference between what is a moral law, part of the Ten Commandments. That is from that is God's will for all time. You have to be able to make a distinction. Otherwise, you otherwise you lose the gospel. Otherwise, you lose Christ. Right. Well, and that's and, and there are so yeah. many people that can't get that, and they try to find their find their comfort in their actions rather than in the accomplished work of Christ. Or or and and let's be fair. I, I think we need to be fair. Um, there are so many out there that will go law. I can't do it. Christ, right? Law gospel. I, I'm saved because of, of what God has done uh, in Jesus. Then they go back to the law and, and just hit that point over and over and over. I, and this is kind of where, where Paul wants to move us away in Philippians. He, he, he wants us to move away from any resemblance of keeping the law as part of our righteousness. Um, and that's one of the that's that's a really fine line that I know because and and we've talked about it in our confirmation classes when we when we take the law and we talk about the law, we say okay the law has three functions and we say okay it's a curb it's a mirror and it's a guide, and and the curb is don't do this because there's real ramifications right, uh, the mirror is look at who you are and how far you have have failed, um, you are unable to to um fulfill what God has asked of you. And then we'd say the guide. The guide is what we are freed now to engage with by the Holy Spirit. But we look at this, and, and I think people approach it in that in that way. And let's just be gracious. Some people are very much, um, I have to do, I have to do, I have to do, and God better accept me because I've done so much. But there are some out there who, yeah, I know the law says I haven't done. And yes, I know that Christ has saved me. But then they come right back to the law and they hammer it as if, Christ had done nothing for them. And and I think that's really where the the point is that 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 Paul is taking it when he talks about true righteousness is not going back to the law and saying, "Okay, yep, Christ you you saved me, but now I have to live this way." It's no, the, Christ the saved law me. Is, the law is no longer a matter of I have to. Right. And actually it never was. It's a matter of I get to. Absolutely. And and if you look at it and 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 if you look at it, you know the law itself can only be fulfilled in Christ. Uh, yeah. the, the the law cannot and never never could be fulfilled by sinful human beings. Um, you know when when the Lord told us in Leviticus nineteen to be holy as as the Lord your God is holy. Um, he he was not giving us something that we by ourselves could obtain. Um, but it was almost a promise in saying you will be holy because I will send one who can do it. Dear list, dear listeners, do not mistake anything that Pastor Harley and I are are saying here. We are not saying that Christians can do that. Christians can throw away the law, throw away the Ten Commandments, um, and and you know we're not we're not espousing ourselves to say now anything goes. We're <clears throat> we're not we're not you know when we're looking and, and we're living in let, let's just look at. Uh, Oh well, now I can go bed any woman that I want to, or I can I can divorce my wife for my spouse for any or every reason, or I can go out and steal this or that. No, we're we we are not we are not saying that. Um, what we're saying is this. It, what we're saying is this. It's it's such a, this the law uh, or, or the religion of Satan is this. Always looking to deceive, to twist, and to get us to rely on what we do to 
bring about or to try to, to bring about spiritual confidence, um, to bring about salvation. And the law cannot do that. Uh, the law is good. We're not saying the law is bad. The law is good because God gave it. The law is good because Jesus kept it. I, as God's child, as a redeemed child of Jesus, I, my new person of faith wants to keep the law, not because it gains me any, it gains me anything, but because it's what it, because it's God's will. And so what law applies to me? The moral law, uh, the ceremonial law. And yes, Jesus fulfilled it all. The ceremonial law, I am not bound to keep. I am still bound by the moral law. Well, and I agree. And, and, and let's be fair to our listeners. Um, there is a benefit socially to, to those around us, to our neighbor, there is a benefit in, in our attempting in meager ways to live according to the social law. Um, to, to, I mean, if you just want to deal with the second table of the law, um, so the, the law is split up into two tables. Um, uh, Christ sums it up so beautifully. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, the first table, first three commandments, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and let's just face it, even in meager ways, knowing we cannot fulfill it completely, if we would, in meager ways, try to love our neighbor as ourself, there would be benefit. There, there would be benefit oh, societally. Yeah. Because, because it's God's user's, man, user's manual for happiness in a successful life and world, and a happy life and happy world. Well, yeah, and it's, it's, it's also his way of saying, this is how you serve one another. Yep. You know, it, what's interesting to note in this, too, uh, because I think it helps to understand, because I think Paul's letter to the Galatians is a nice compliment to this chapter here, too. Because as Paul is talking to people who are insisting that you have to be circumcised to get into heaven, faith and circumcision saves. This is what they said. And you know what Paul replies to that in Ephesians is he says, these people who are insisting on that you be circumcised to get into heaven, he said, during the process, I wish they would go the whole way and cut it all off. Not just the foreskin. But to cut it all off. Yep, demasculinate that, themselves. Um, the Apostle Paul, who before he was converted to faith in Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter in Acts chapter seven, nine, sorry. Um, it, he 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 is the one who said this as he points to his former way of life, Hebrew of the Hebrews, Pharisee of the Pharisees. Um, you know, uh, circumcised, uh, you know, he kept all of these Old Testament regulations better, better than most, most Jews of his time. And he, and then what did he say? And where did, and what did it do for me? Nothing. It accomplished nothing. Yeah. He actually considered himself um, blameless before everybody. Yes. He was, he, he yes. figured he was that good. Um, but and really what he what the exact words he says here in even Philippians is saying, even though I was that before Christ, it means nothing. It, it was worthless. Yeah. It was worthless before Christ uh, because Christ is 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 so much better and far surpassing. Um, in fact, he considered it all loss so that he could gain Christ, um, that that everything that he had done, he considers to be garbage. Um, and, and, and I think that's, let's face it, he's not saying it's garbage in the sense of it wasn't a benefit to other people, but it's garbage in the benefit to, to what is truly lasting and meaningful. Um, what he receives in Christ Jesus is life, and, and what he had was not life or living. You know, Paul, Paul really hits again, and, and, and really this is something that's very apostolic, uh, people who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Um, in that same section you were quoting there, Paul says, I do this so that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in the hope that in some way I may arrive at the resurrection of the dead. Paul, 
again with with again with the with the apostles with the and again and the rest of the eyewitnesses of the resurrection this was the impact that the resurrection had on the on what Jesus had taught them because the resurrection was a guarantee that everything that came out of Jesus mouth was gospel truth um uh and that um and that everything that he did on the cross fulfilled the words and made rock solid certain it is finished um this resurrection drove Paul not only to be a fellow soldier with Epaphroditus, but to stand up against the rubbish of work righteousness. It's what caused him to endure the beatings. It was what was going to cause him to, to suffer, to willingly suffer a martyr's death, because this is the only thing that matters. Christ and Christ alone. And and isn't that an interesting interesting shift because Paul had spent the majority of his life prior to this adding things to what he thought really to his account to things that he thought really mattered and and we live in a society that's very much like that too if you do what society wants of you and you do what society thinks is good of you and you try to be the best person that you can be you know, you live a fairly decent life within society, right? I mean, technically you would. Um, but when, like as Paul, when when the Spirit worked on his heart and he was brought to faith and he he rested in Christ and through the waters of baptism, uh, was placed into Christ, died with him and rose again to have this new way of life, he uses, and I, I like that word that he uses, as you read, he joins in the fellowship right, of his suffering, um, that even though he is doing what is the best, which is living for Christ, knowing Christ, following Christ, growing in Christ, ever closer, ever closer to the cross and ever closer to the open tomb, there's a fellowship and suffering that comes with that because that is so contrary to what everyone else would like. You, you you look at what the, the the amazing change that this brought about in Paul's life attitude and outlook, if you want to even call worldview. Um, and sorry for throwing out sorry for throwing out that term there, but I look at um, uh, Acts chapter eight verse one. This comes right immediately after right it, it concludes the the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Um, and actually, again, if I remember correctly, there that. Uh, Here's how the EHV um, puts it. Saul agreed with putting Stephen to death. Actually, I think maybe some of the other translations say that Saul was nodding his approval. Um, Also there too, if you look in the beginning and uh, go back, while the stoning was going on, Paul was holding the jackets of the men who were stoning Stephen. Um, You had... uh, you 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 had this once again when Paul is talking about being a Pharisee of the Pharisee, Hebrew of the Hebrews, um, and all of this stuff. He speaks about in 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 all of his epistles about in his formal way of life that he thought he was doing the ultimate work of God, and only until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and Jesus turned him around in the opposite direction. When Jesus actually grabbed him by the ears and said, here I am, I'm the only way to heaven, you idiot. Um, that that was only until afterward that Paul was doing the work of the Lord, proclaiming the gospel of free grace, proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Before of that, once again, uh, you know, that that's what he considered to be his precious adornment. Um, uh, and, and and that and that was what was I mean you know welcome into the pearly gates uh, Saul um, um, you 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 tried to you, you you did your best to stamp out Christ and 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 those heretics um, what he did had nothing to do with the stance before God um, this was a man I mean if if you really I mean, sometime maybe it would be interesting to try to do some type, if it was possible to do a psychological profile 
on the Apostle Paul, but if you really wanted to get into a narcissist, I really think that's what Paul was before he was converted. Oh, and, and I agree with you. And I think one of the things that, that is so telling and just bringing up what you said and sort of in, enhancing it is, is what Paul says um, near the end of chapter 3 where, he, where he's talking about his growth, right, and how he's continuing to grow in, in this joy. But he says, forgetting the things that are behind and straining toward the things that are ahead. What things was he forgetting? He was forgetting everything that he thought he he knew, everything he thought he had done for his credit. I'm forgetting those things, and and I'm and I'm I'm plowing ahead in the gospel, um, which is it seems contrary, right? Um, and, and and it seems contrary to everything that we would want to forget what we have done, because it's not to our credit and it does us no good, um, and and strive well, for Christ. Notice how hard that was for like Luther when we, when, you, when we think we think about uh, um, you know we think about Luther at uh, at the Diet of Worms um, as he's there before the emperor and he's asked to recant all of these books um, and the struggle that he went when he asked for the knight to think it over and you know and as he shares this like who am I who am I to go against uh, 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 or centuries of established church teaching or whatever, or agreed upon church teaching, right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, and the struggle that he had with it, and then the power that the Spirit gave him um, through the means of grace to take a stand, to say, here I stand, unless convinced by by scripture or plain reason, I cannot, I cannot recant, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise, God help me. Um, and then even at his death, um, as, uh, as, as Pastor John Bugenhagen shares Luther's thoughts where the devil is tormenting um, 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 Luther once again, who am I to go against all of this? Who do I think I am? Notice where his emphasis was, and thankfully Reverend Bugenhagen is able to point Luther back to Christ again um, and to give him, because that's again where the, when we are inwardly focused on ourselves, there is no comfort. There's, there's despair, there's fear, there's trembling, there's nothing but BS. Well, and I would say that this is, this is the, the and, and bring it back to theology. I think this is the deciding factor between the Lutheran Orthodox Lutheran, I'm going to put a qualifier on that, the Orthodox Lutheran and other denominations, because the Orthodox Lutheran puts the focus of faith, puts the focus of of the joy we have squarely on Christ and lets him bear all of the weight and, and carry everything. And and every other denomination from, and, I'm, and, and pl- please realize I'm painting with a very wide brush when I say that, but every other denomination— is is got you involved in it more than you should be. You are a recipient of of everything that Christ does for you. Um, you do not claim it. You do not grasp hold of it. You do not. Um, it's not as if he. And and I just had this conversation um, earlier this week where where um, I had a very very wonderful um, guy we were talking about, and he was saying, "Oh, the organ lepticon, you know, the, the the faith is those receiving organs, and but we still it rolls right out of your hands if we don't grasp it." And I'm like, "No," and and he said, "What do you mean no?" And I said, "I said, you know, faith, yes, faith is that that receiving organ, but I said it's receiving like a hose." I says the hose doesn't have to grasp anything for the water to flow through it. It just it does. You receive it. It it receives it. It it doesn't grasp anything. You don't have to. That's the reason. That's one of the reasons Paul calls us jars of clay. Yes. Yeah. And we are filled up. We are filled up. We don't have to close anything. We don't have to close our hands around it and hold on for dear life. And if we slip, all of a sudden we're lost. Um. I I think this is the. This is that nature of, of that self coming back, which, which Paul is saying we had a fight against, which is, is that the idea of, I, I want to be a part of this, but you can't be a part of this. This is the reason why Paul finishes up that chapter and he says this. He says, uh, um, to be sure, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ and talk about something that people don't want to hear today 
especially people that sit in our pews today, um, that think that uh, that in the church, in the visible church, there are enemies of the cross of Christ. But there are. I told you about them often, and now I say it while weeping. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their appetite. Their glory, their pride is in their shame. They are only thinking about earthly things. And this is the thing when we get diverted about what are the things that divert us from Christ? They're always, they're always things of this earth and things of this life. And Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. We are eagerly waiting for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. By the power that enables him to subject all things to himself, he will transform our humble bodies to be like his glorious body. You know, this, you know, and I've often heard this debate among, among Christians today when it comes down to the faith and how and how Christians are to live. You always got one group that says you're thinking too much about this earth, and the other one that thinks you says you're thinking too much about heaven. Um, uh, the, the biblical Christian faith has always been the narrow road um, and, and, and so forth. But usually I find most of the problems in, in Christianity, in, among God's people throughout the hist entire history of this world, most of the problems, not all, but most of the problems come from when God's people get too, fix, too fixated on this earth, this life. Right. And I would say, and, and, and like you said, finding that Lutheran middle, you can't be living, can't be, I mean, we live as if heaven is ours because it is. And I agree. But really, it's cross-minded. Um and 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 you can't be focused on as you were saying what is the world doing how is the world reacting how am i a part of this world and and what am i supposed to be doing here and you can't live with your head in the clouds all the time either um but we live with the focus of christ um and what he is doing and has done um and that's really where paul's focus is you know he he puts the he puts the action on christ he will transform you know, he has the power to subjugate all things under his control. Um, not you, not me, but Christ. Which which I think is is a yeah. part of which is a part of the the whole point is you can't lose you can't lose the work of Christ and 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 put yourself in his place. Um, if you want to look at the at the religion that Paul left. And maybe this is a good way to tie things up because we are pretty close here to the hour mark. Uh, what we've, what I find to be a very, very accurate equivalent of the of what Paul, of the religion that Paul believed and clung to before being converted on the road to Damascus. Um, is actually what today is today, which is actually, if you want to call it, Orthodox Judaism. Um, and it's and basically what Judaism has 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 come today, and actually was really the the the, the religion of the Pharisees of Jesus' day is this. Basically, heaven is not important. It's what you make of this world. That you live in right now. That is what Judaism today is. Judaism is not looking for uh, uh, is not looking for a a, 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 a a savior from sin. It's not looking at an afterlife. It's looking at to to leave this world a better place than you than than when when you came into it. And that pure and simple is what it is. And this is the temptation. This is the religion of the world. This is the religion of Satan, um, and and this is and so and this is this is what we have to have to have to always try to to keep in mind and and to beware of. Yeah, you know what? It it we we're not we we don't we 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 don't despise this world. This is a gift from God, but it's keeping things in perspective. And but the temptation always is is to focus here in on here and now because when we're not, this the devil is the prince of this world. So if we focus on it, 
who are we worshiping? Right. But I think I, I think one of those things that that should be said as we sum it up here is is yeah we focus we want to we want to be heavenward, we're always striving towards heaven, um, but in that striving towards heaven we serve one another, and and so we we as Christians straddle these two these two kingdoms right, um, and and we straddle them as Christ straddled them for us and has has conquered all things for us. Um, but we straddle these two kingdoms with the hope and comfort of the battle is won, the hope and comfort of my soul is secure, and and my the resurrection is my own because of Christ Jesus. And yet, because of Christ Jesus, I I also have an obligation to serve, um, not an obligation which makes opens heaven to me, but an obligation because I love the people God has blessed me with, and 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 I have something to share. And a profound question to, to contemplate on, on, on with this too, as we look at, uh, uh, at, uh, at uh, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, looking at, uh, at our heavenly goal. Why is it as we're trying to keep this balance that the thing that is the most comfortable for us is to focus on the worldly? It's because we, we, it's what we understand. Um, and, as sinful people, we understand, I think, the sinful nature more than we care to admit. Yes. And and so it, it becomes something that we we very much can can relate to and we're comfortable in dealing with. And we're comfortable in, in covering up, I think, in many ways. Um but again, you know, maybe this is maybe maybe at the end it became a little bit more vocational. Um, but you know, there is something to be said about our obligation. Not our obligation, wrong word. Our ability to get to follow the law for the sake of other people. Um, and the free gift that we have of all the heavy lifting that God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, for us. Um, final thoughts as we, we wrap it up. Uh, we go into to four next week, right? And then we finish it up. Yeah. Um, and like we said, dear listener, at the beginning of the show, uh, we're going to hit chapter four. Uh, Revelation is still in the hopper at some point here, but but we're finding that our eyes are bigger than our, our abilities sometimes, and, and we do need to take a break so that uh, we can get you good material as we, we uh, put this out. So um, if it is uh, in the summer months, if our shows are, are maybe not every week, but a little bit more spotty, don't be surprised. Uh, we will still be making content, but... Um, it might not be as frequently as you are used to throughout the, the rest of the school year. And so uh, um, allow us to have those opportunities so we can bring you excellent work. And uh, until next week, we'll, we'll finish up Philippians chapter 4. God's blessings to you. Uh, Don, anything you'd like to leave them with? Have a blessed week.